0: How you doing? I'm all right. How are you
1: doing? I'm all right. As you may be able to hear, I have Livia sitting on my lap. Your, so own,
0: your own wee feral child.
1: My own wee wild child. <laughs> <laughs> sitting, pairing on my lap. So I'm pretty, pretty happy. I've managed to almost humanise her by <laughs> insistently calling her my daughter in a way that she can't in any way fight back against because she can't speak so uh,
0: (laughs) she doesn't know what it means so yeah
1: so quite similar to a lot of the stories today Mm -hmm. whereby some children are kind of pranced around and forced into clothes and things wildly
0: projected (laughs) upon by
1: scientists wildly projected upon yeah Yeah. told all kinds of things and sometimes put in amusing hats for the entertainment of the people who (laughs) feed them Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah really it's just the story of livia (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> although Olivia was never really raised by wolves all right do a proper sort of introduction who are you Janina?
0: Oh I'm Janina Matthewson. I am a writer and I'm here and who are you Emma Southern? I am Emma Southern I'm a historian and I'm also here. Hurrah together, together we are <laughs> History is <of> Sexy.
1: Yeah <laughs> we should do that in unison one day.
0: <laughs> we will never manage it.
1: No. We'll always be three seconds out, but (laughs) yeah, together we're History Sexy, and we answer the questions that you don't have the time or energy to research for yourself, because we like it.
0: We like it, and you can find all of our stuff, show notes, and ways to support us at historysexy.com, and that's it. That's everything. That's everything. It's all the dates.
1: And today, we are answering a question from Pierre Scholl, who said, Can you please tell me if there were slash are really children who were raised by wolves? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Short answer, yes. <laughs> no. Okay.
1: My short answer is no. So...
0: <laughs>
1: short answer, yes, there are people who claim that they were raised by wolves mm. or claim that children were raised by wolves, but I don't think that any children have ever actually been raised by wolves. Interesting. I think, I mean, we'll get to them. I think that some are fakes and some of them are children who hung out with wolves for a while. Yes. But I think, I think raised by wolves, you get the image of like, we're contracted as far as I can tell by law, natural law of the universe to talk about Romulus and Remus. Mm. And I imagine babies being suckled by wolves and then raised to be part of the pack. And I think that that has happened precisely zero times, Mm -hmm. mostly on the basis that I don't know actually how much time you've spent around babies, but you have a lot of brothers and sisters, so I suspect you've spent some time around tiny babies mm. who are still drinking milk.
0: They require a lot more care and attention than just a boob. They require almost constant care and attention. Yes, they do. And they get rashes constantly. So they, many rashes. <laughs> they
1: are always wriggling about. Yeah. You, you can't even just feed them. No, you've got to feed them and then burp them. And then burp them. Yeah. So you can't just have them lying down on the Floor and like give them a wolf boob. You have to. Yeah, you can't just
0: like dangle a teat over them, which is all a wolf will be able to do.
1: 45% of babies won't even take that. Like you have to basically bully them into feeding and the rest of them won't stop. Like,
0: this is, I think, the key difference. Like, because you think of animals and like the the protective and maternal instinct among animals, which we know exists, right? And there are loads of examples of like, look at this dog who was raising this orphaned kitten and yes. the kitten is friends with little puppies and maybe thinks that it's a puppy <laughs> and, and all of that happens because I think animals can recognize a vulnerable yeah. young and know especially that it needs, mothers, especially like, mothers, and, know, and like accept that that's something that needs care and be willing to provide it with care. But animals, almost as a rule, are born with certain functions, like yeah. the ability to walk that <laughs> humans just are not. And to hold their own heads up. And hold their own
1: heads up. And to up. not choke to death on their own tongue. <laughs> and don't take literally like 15 years to get to a point where they can be trusted to do anything by themselves without falling into a river.
0: <laughs> like then. human
1: babies, as bi- like biologically, are born as very helpless things with because of big brains, basically. And raising a human baby is unbelievably difficult and very, very time-consuming.
0: Yeah, it doesn't take that much time spent around a baby to think, a wolf couldn't do this. Yeah, exactly. But
1: what I do think has happened is that you've had children who are past infancy, who are like three, four, five and up, who have hung out with wolves for a while. Yes,
0: You you have children... Who have been abandoned or run away or otherwise like separated from civilization for a time and who managed yes. to survive for that time on their own. Yeah, um, sometimes by hanging out with animals. But so
1: we're going to talk about some stories. Yeah. One of the weird things about researching this was seeing how unbelievably similar most of these stories are. Which might mean that we get bored of telling them at some point Uh, (laughs) Because they're super similar And also how they all cluster together So almost all Raised by Wolves stories Come from Northern Europe Up to the 19th century. And then after the 19th century, almost all of them come from India. Mm -hmm. And it is super weird that those are the only places, (laughs) except Lithuania, where apparently bears were constantly raising children. Yes, yeah. But they're like these weird little clusters of things that happen. And you never really get one. You always get like five in a row. Yeah. Which also makes them deeply suspicious to me. But also how most of them are related in the way that they are told and by the kind of the people who are telling them they're always told as weirdo stories like oh my god this super odd thing happened yes and they're always told in that way that people talk about savagery and bestiality and inhumanness yeah civilization and what a proper person is and what a not proper person is
0: yeah this very sort of victorian curios yes and going right the way back
1: they're always like from the earliest cases that we have that are not mythical well technically the earliest case of like a person being a child being raised or nurtured or suckled by an animal that isn't mythological comes from procopius Mm -hmm. and is a first-hand account that he tells of loads of people running away from a city in the middle of the Gothic Wars, so the Roman Wars with the Goths in 520, and somebody leaving their baby behind. Which is wild to start with. <laughs> and the baby being abandoned is then kind of adopted by a goat who feeds the baby with her udder. They repeatedly insist that the baby is swaddled, and so this baby is tied up and then is being fed. Like basically, you know, it's quite tight swaddling. Don't have ever seen a swaddle. But they're pretty like tight so you can't move any of your limbs or anything. Yeah. So this baby is lying there, can't move its head. The goat comes up and feeds it. Everybody finds out about when they come back from having run away from the armies and find that the baby's still going and is now quite attached. This is very shortly afterwards, like a matter of days. And they try to take the baby away and it refuses to have anything to do with human milk. So they just let it chill with the goat and procopius comes through with belisarius's army and they go look at this we've got a baby that'll only eat goat milk Mm -hmm. and even weirder the goat likes it (laughs) and so what they do is um they purposefully hurt the baby so they're pinching it or poking it or something in order to make it cry normal normal behavior (laughs) so that the goat comes over and goes what are you doing and everyone's like look the goat likes it and that's what they're doing for tourists
0: great, great yeah
1: normal behavior and nip is like weird story huh <laughs> And then poodles off. It honestly doesn't seem enormously likely because again, it would, this assumes that the goat has some kind of intelligence that it go, that ch- thing is crying, it needs food, I am going to go over to it and give it my teat. When yeah. if you've ever seen goats or sheep feeding, it's usually the baby goat like nuzzling underneath looking for the teat.
0: And the mother goat's standing there completely disinterested. Yeah,
1: yeah, as though something is happening to her that she's trying not to think about.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Staring off into middle distance and thinking about it. My experiences
1: of watching sheep and goats from going and seeing lambing and things is never that the mother is running around offering her boob to everybody. But (laughs) maybe this was a special goat. But that's the oldest one. And the rest of them appear in the 14th century, which is around about the time that people in Europe started boating around the place and talking about civilization.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They were obsessed with it. They were like, we've just... Stopped raiding each other's villages. So now we're going to talk about what it means to be civilised.
1: Yeah, so the earliest raised by wolves in history are three children who all appear in Germany in the 14th century and people think that they were raised by wolves. And all of them are described in basically the exact same way. So you have one in 1304, one in 1341 and one in 1344... Mm-hmm. Who all of them are relatively old. I don't think there's an age given for the 1304, the wolf boy of Hess. Mm-hmm.
0: Great name, though.
1: Yeah, but the second wolf boy of Hess <laughs> is seven ish when he's found. And the third wolf boy of Wetero is is 12 Mm -hmm. but they're all described in the exact same way they were all found by hunters or people traveling they all run on all fours and can't walk upright and they largely walk faster on all fours than most people can they can jump really high Mm -hmm. they refuse to eat any food which is cooked usually yeah just love some raw meat and that's all yes they prefer raw meat and they can't talk. This is the thing that when you Google this stuff or when you search for this stuff in databases, the thing that comes up over and over and over again is linguistic study.
0: Yeah. <laughs> because there's this fascinate, like linguists are fascinated with not just speech, but with thought. Like how are yeah. you how are you processing thoughts if you don't have language to express them? Because a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people think in words. Some people think yeah. in images. But then there's a question of how do you think if you if you don't know any words at all? Yeah, which to be fair is an interesting question.
1: It is a super interesting question, and language acquisition as well is such an interesting. Like, there's all these theories about that there is a critical time, a critical period in child's development, whereby if you miss that period, mm-hmm. you will never develop language, or that you are like that. or there are other theories that language is innate and can be learned at any point because it is like an innate part of being human but so linguists and people who study language acquisition and language development love these stories because they all say and this is like 100 is that they cannot speak mm. sometimes they claim that they can howl <laughs> <laughs> really really well which seems fair i mean howling's not that hard howling's not that hard but they always say that they can run around <laughs> on all fours which seems very hard. They can't really stand upright. They can't speak, and very often, and this is a thing that I like a lot, uh, that they're, they're
0: extra hairy. Yeah, yeah. They've also often got weird eyes or weird um, teeth, like their teeth are sharp, are sharper yes. than normal human teeth. And yes, yeah.
1: And we will get to Amala and Kamala at some point. Who yes. I don't believe in at all, but we. <laughs> <laughs> In large part because of the eye thing. But yeah, so super hairy is the other thing that they, for some reason, even though they never hit puberty by the time they're found, they are 99.9% boys, but they are super, super hairy and are more bestial than man, basically. Mm. And every time what happens is that people bring them back to kind of quote unquote civilization, poke at them a bit, try to feed them stuff that they obviously don't want, and then attempt to civilize them or to train them out of the way that they have been living so they will try to force them into clothes they will Mm -hmm. put shoes on them they force try to force them to eat things that they don't want to eat
0: try to teach them not to steal because they're all described as stealing when really what is happening is they don't understand the concept of ownership.
1: Yes, mm. and also they. this comes up a couple of times, but a lot of them talk about excessive masturbation in places where it is not appropriate to be masturbating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they hit puberty, this happens a lot. But when they can learn to talk. So all of those stories are told by writers who are writing it down 2 to 4. 300 years later, mostly mm. about 200, 250 years later. So they're all chronicled in the 17th century. So into the age of exploration and are written about in a way that is very clearly talking about savagery. Yeah. But also has a very weird idea of what animals can do. <laughs> so <laughs> the 1344 kid, the, the wolf boy of Wettero, he uh, says that he was stolen at the age of three, by wolves, and that they raised him, they made him a hole in the ground and covered it with leaves when in in the winter to protect him from cold, that they would get food for him and bring it to him, and that they insisted that he walk on all fours.
0: (laughs) I like to picture how they insisted, like just like, no, you're standing up again. Yeah, (laughs) get down. Get down on your hands.
1: Yeah, which is such a like interesting perspective on this idea that wolves are super smart uh-huh. and can not only identify that they want this child so they stole him, but that they need to protect him and that he needs food and that he's going to be cold and somehow they understand that he doesn't have fur so he's going to be cold so they cover him up yeah. um, and they dig him a hole. And then they kind of insist that he do as they do and like what do you think wolves are <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like there's no it's not enough to be like isn't it amazing these wolves did not eat this baby but yeah not only that they also taught it to run on all fours instead of walking
1: yeah, and they really cared about his well-being. As Especially someone.
0: since if this kid was stolen by wolves at the age of three, like, he's been walking for a couple of years now. Like, this is a walking yeah. child. It's, not like, yeah. it's, it's um, not like they got him when he was still crawling.
1: Presumably that's why he was able to be chattier than a lot of the rest of them. Hmm. But because by three you can kind of chat fairly well. Yeah. So he had been living with wolves for, like, nine years, allegedly. Mm-hmm. But he went on to live a pretty happy life and he lived until he was eighty. Yeah. Allegedly. Unclear how much you can trust this because again it is two hundred years later. Yeah. In people who are writing these things, these like encyclopedias and chronicles of a time that is passed to them. And that is what a lot of the older stories are. Mm. But you do get some quite good ones. <laughs> Those are the wolf children. Those are like your first group of wolf children who are i think probably the most like until you get to amala and kamala probably the most famous ones and then you get to indian ones after that there is a sheep boy in ireland which i quite like
0: Oh, that's very good
1: yeah who is very obviously a hoax because he is being paraded around in amsterdam in the 17th century mm. and The guy who's parading him around claims that he is a 16-year-old boy who was raised by sheep and had acquired an avine nature uh, and would only eat grass. Sure. Yeah, so he is clearly like a weird sideshow uh, (laughs) situation going on. Yeah. One of the fun things is that I could only find one American one. Oh, really? Yes. And I thought there might be more American ones, but they are very much a, an India and Europe thing.
0: Yeah. And like Imperial India, right? Like it's not... Yeah, yeah. These stories are not from before. They are not
1: from pre-British invasion India. No, yeah. they're all from... And they're largely written by... The stories of these the Indian wolf children are mostly written by European colonialists in India. Yeah. Being odd. But there's one in Devil's River, Texas... Mm-hmm. which is the Lobo Wolf Girl of Devil's River, who was born in 1835 to trappers. Her mother died in childbirth and her father was hit by lightning. Sure. Which sucks. At some point when she is small, she disappears. And the other trappers, when they come across kind of their camp i guess their little house assumed that she had been eaten by wolves but 10 years later sightings emerge of pack of wolves running around the devil's river area in texas with a girl and so hunters go out to try to find her which she wildly resists she's taken back to a ranch where she howls all night until the wolf pack comes to rescue her Mm -hmm. and they get together and attack the ranch so that she can escape fair play (laughs) Yep. Yeah. <laughs> she runs back into the wilderness. Seven years after that, eighteen fifty two, two more kind of explorers, people wandering around, come across a girl suckling wolf cubs by hmm. the river. And she grabs her cubs and runs away and is never seen again. Sure. Okay.
0: See this feels more like realistic, just because no one tries <laughs> to figure no one tries to rationalize anything. They're just like, I saw this thing and then it was gone. super weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think where most of these stories fall down is like everyone tries to find an explanation and they're like, this is how these children lived in the wild with these animals. And yes. Yeah. The
1: thing where it always falls down for me is when what often happens is these children are captured, but because so many of them are captured in situations where children are not being treated brilliantly at Mm -hmm. the best of times Mm -hmm. (laughs) and where childhood is not like protected in the way that it would be now and where medicine is like we electrocuted it or we stabbed it with a thing to see what would happen Mm -hmm. then like the way that they think of treating someone humanely or treating a child that has been basically massively isolated from human company and suffered terrible deprivation usually is to like beat them yeah i try to force them into clothes people will be like so they forced him into clothes by means of blows yeah or they just won't feed them anything like they won't feed them raw meat they won't feed them things that they want to eat they will insist upon giving them broccoli <laughs> and then the kid like starves or they will their immediate reaction to a lot of them, like when they're... Because the kind of general story that you get is that the child is captured by hunters or is found by people just kind of meandering about or exploring or doing something in the wilderness and they capture them Mm -hmm. against their will, always against their will, take them to a city or a town and then lock them up inside. And fairly reasonably, these children freak out (laughs) and then the rest of their experience of life is quite often just horrible
0: like the best case scenario is that someone becomes fascinated enough by them to like let them live in a house with them instead of putting them in an asylum
1: yeah basically or that somebody takes enough of an interest to like attempt to work with them therapeutically yeah and so you get ones later on like victor Lavion. Is probably the main one who is an 18th century kid from France who basically is a wild child in that he doesn't necessarily seem to have hung out with animals that much. But he was running around on all fours and living in the woods in France and in the forests. And, well, he's initially captured and everybody looks at him and is like, God, that's weird. And then they (laughs) let him go. Mm
0: -hmm. Which is probably the best thing they could have done for him.
1: Yeah. And then he's forcibly captured again in 1799 and is forced to eat cooked vegetables, which repulses him so much that he escapes. (laughs) And then a year after that, he's captured again and was immediately imprisoned in an asylum and is kind of tortured to a certain extent, like... Mm -hmm they're like putting his hands in freezing water and in fire and forcing him to like to see how he will react to things and they note that he has a huge scar on his neck where like my understanding of his situation is that someone tried to kill him and dumped him in the forest and mm-hmm. he miraculously survived yeah but certain doctors took a real interest in trying to rehabilitate him and in trying to teach him language and in caring for him. And it kind of goes okay for a while. But because he won't stop masturbating, basically, mm-hmm. they give up on him and he gets kind of abandoned in a facility, an 18th century <laughs> facility. Yeah. And he is uh, considered to be uh, basically a danger. And that is sort of the best case scenario, which is that someone's interested in you for a bit, but mostly you don't get that kind of thing. You just get people staring at you.
0: Yeah, or people who, like, adopt you as a curio for a time, but then get bored and don't take any responsibility. Yeah. Like someone who gets a puppy for Christmas and then doesn't want it, you know? Yeah,
1: because there is only so much... Progress you can make. Yeah. And for a lot of the time, if you can't make miraculous progress, if you can't take the wild child and then pro- to produce a perfectly civilized child, yeah, then people are going to get bored and like, eh, can't really be bothered. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not really, not really interested if it can't be, yeah, if it can't be fixed.
0: This essentially, is, this is still taking up too much of my life, and I need to not devote so much time to any more yeah for reasons
1: like one of the most famous wild children in history i suppose is peter of hanover mm-hmm. who is particularly famous because he was found during the reign of george the first he's meandering around in the hanover forests and george the first had just become king of england so they send him to london in order to to, so that George first can have a little look at him basically yeah. as a curio all these pamphlets are written about him we know so much about him because the english court at the time if you watch bridgerton you kind of know what it looks like they are fascinated by this like the idea of this wild child and they put him into clothes and
0: keep bringing him out at parties and he's like just a great a great slice of society gossip for for a yeah, short period of time. Because he is a child
1: that is, a, like, they basically consider him to be a beast, like mm. something that is closer to beast than man. And they fight, he can't really talk. He doesn't like to walk upright. He's not very happy. <laughs> <laughs> he is, like, basically in the way that a lot of hugely deprived children are when they don't learn that asking for something will bring it, basically, Mm -hmm. or that they don't learn how to interact with people. He's very, very apathetic. So he doesn't respond to things. He doesn't cry. He doesn't, like, he's not doing anything that's much of a much. Apparently, it was particularly disappointing to everybody that he did not attempt to sexually assault all the ladies.
0: Yeah, they all wanted to flirt with the... what, What I pictured about this is in George of the Jungle... When <laughs> Brendan Fraser is like running around the field with the horses and all the like all the ladies are on the fence just staring at him. Like that's what it feels like everyone wanted him to be. Like this sort of not like this fascination with someone who is closer to beast in this carnal yeah. way, you know. They wanted yeah. they wanted raw sexuality. <laughs> because their own yeah. was so restrained. They
1: thought it was gonna be a sexy time with a like a sexy man. Yeah. I imagine this in have you ever read Brave New World?
0: No, I haven't.
1: Okay, you should totally read Brave New World because it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But in Brave New World, the whole world is like technologically advanced because of Fordian factory mechanics, basically, and Ford is their kind of their god. Mm-hmm. The whole world is hugely industrialised, but they are emotionless, essentially, and mm-hmm. they take this thing called Soma, which is a kind of opiate with no side effects, and having too many feelings is considered to be largely bad mm-hmm. but they do maintain what they call savage camps where people live indigenous ways of life and they find in the main character finds in one of these kind of what's the word i'm looking for not resorts not reservations mm-hmm. finds a boy who was born to a woman from the city who got lost there and so who has is a boy who should have been brought up in civilization but has been brought up with the savages instead and he takes him back as a curiosity mm-hmm. to his city and everybody is fascinated by him and but everybody tries to flirt with him because the society is hypersexual and he is repulsed by the idea and wants everyone <laughs> to stop talking to him they call him John <laughs> Savage and he like the hedonism and sexuality and the sensuality of the society of Brave New World just massively freaks him out mm-hmm and he it is kind of far more puritanical. And so I kind of imagine poor Peter of Hanover being in the Georgian court <laughs> like, with all these girls, like, wiggling their boobs at him and him being like, ah! <laughs> Yeah, so they got bored of him, and he actually ends up with an all-right life. He gets sent off to live in Hertfordshire with mm-hmm. a farmer who charges people to come and visit him and plenty of people do and they basically make money off of people coming and having a look and asking him questions and being fascinated by him but no one seems to be particularly interested in how he ended up living in a
0: forest (laughs) he just turned up and they're like all right (laughs)
1: Yeah, and then a year afterwards, one of the reasons that he got pensioned off and sent away from the court was that everybody got obsessed with Mary Toft a year later. Sure. Who is the woman who claimed to be giving birth magically to rabbits. Yeah,
0: that's less likely Uh, to be true. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely she was not giving birth to (laughs) rabbits. Yeah, but most of the stories that you get from Europe about children are basically either copy-pastes of the wolf boy of Hess with various other animals or they are children who are just sort of living in the woods for some reason yeah which is just sad except the green children yeah who i know are your favorite thing
0: the green children are so fun because they're one of those stories that like it could be a folk story that has no basis in fact or it could be true and you know maybe (laughs) and we'll never really know which is really true of all history maybe we'll never really know for sure about anything But this is a story that comes from Suffolk in the 12th century, a village of Woolpit, which has nothing to do with wool and is in fact named for wolf. It was Wolf Pit, which is a pit that is dug to trap wolves in. Mm -hmm. So it's near Bury St. Edmonds, and one day two children just turn up. The sources on this are relatively close, like they're they're relatively contemporary. They make their... We have this from the writings of Ralph of Cocos Hall and William of Newber. Newber? I don't you know, stupid English names. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Who who were both writing in the late 12th century. But this, this boy and a girl, presumed to be brother and sister, just turned up in this village. Their skin was green. They spoke a language no one recognized and they wore strange clothes that no one recognized and they refused to eat anything except raw beans and the villagers took them in and the boy eventually died, just sick, sickened and died. Um, and the girl eventually started to eat normal food and started to learn English. And when she was able to speak English, she, told, she said that they had come from St. Martin's land and that she and her brother had been looking after their father's cattle and then there had been a loud noise and suddenly they'd been somewhere else, basically Walpit. And she ended up working for a landed gentry house and was described as being very, just a bad girl. Bad bad and (laughs) immoral, which I assume means that she sometimes had sex with people. Yeah, exactly. And that's all we have. That's all all that there is. And it is told as the story of this one time, there were these two children and there has been debate ever since about like, were they real? Was it made up? There are theories that they were the children of Flemish immigrants which is why they wore strange clothes and didn't speak English. They were speaking Flemish, but, you know, that's... (laughs) And everyone was like, well, it's gobbledygook. It's gobbledygook. (laughs) There are claims, though, that can't be true because someone would have recognised the language, which, I don't know, the British are pretty xenophobic. I don't know that I'm willing to buy that. And that if their skin really was green, it was potentially because of malnutrition that they'd been, you know, living alone and not eating enough and not getting enough nutrients. But that doesn't really account for why they would have refused normal human food mm. when they were found. So so who knows? There are obviously people who claim that they were aliens or angels <laughs> or that they'd come from, that they were fairies or came from uh, See, the underworld. See, I reckon I've only
1: ever heard the Fairyland version or I've mostly had the like that they were taken into fairy.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I like it because it's, you know, they were just two random children who popped up and no one knew anything and still no one knows anything and no one ever will know anything. And they may never have existed, but then maybe they did. And maybe they were green. And this is a real issue with a lot of the stories
1: from anything before, in fact, even after like the 19th century, is everyone's like, so here's two sentences on this thing. Yep. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got a and lot of it questions. <laughs> Tough. Yeah. You, you, we're not going to tell you anything further. Yeah. And there is no way for you to ever know anything again. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye.
0: <laughs> yeah, this may have started life as a bedtime story. One random villager just told told their kids and it, it spread and grew and now everyone thinks it's true. Or maybe it's actually true. Who knows? Who can say? Welcome to history.
1: Yeah, welcome to history. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah, uh, that is a lot of the story with these that... So many of them are like one line or a couple of lines until you get to basically the 19th century ones, which are almost entirely from India. Mm. And in the 19th century, you get this explosion of stories coming out of India 99% of the time written by English men prancing around who are being rude about India at the best of times. And who are constantly claiming that there are children being raised by wolves in India. Yeah. It may be that they have some kind of underlying reason for either believing or wanting to present India as a place of wildness and savagery. And,
0: yeah, no, I actually will say
1: that that's largely what they were doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a well-documented fascination with any colonized nation that they hop over to. you'll never believe what people do here
1: yeah so six of them come from the same book written by a guy called w.h sleeman great name actually speaking of great names we have another arbuthnot which i forgot to mention which is that the person who looked after john of hanover until they all got bored with him was a john arbuthnot (laughs) so we've got this is a second week running of arbuthnot
0: (laughs) great friend of jonathan swift yes who uh, also was fascinated with john of hanover but not enough to like spend any real time with it.
1: Like, oh, I'll leave that in the charge of my friend. Too busy writing about good satires. Yeah. Yes, so six of them come from Sleeman's book, which is a catalogue of the journey through the kingdom of Ood from 1840. And he gives six cases, all from the same area of India, all children taken by walls from their parents when they're under the age of three, and rediscovered between the ages of 9 and 12, all of whom, he insists, are rancidly smelly, very hairy, and are all profoundly unhappy with being in human company again. Mm
0: -hmm. Same.
1: He thinks that they are vile, but a thing that he is apparently constantly coming up against. So (laughs) either he is constantly coming up against children that he just thinks are gross and is like, Wolves did it. (laughs) Or people are repeatedly telling him, (laughs) that the children steal wolves yeah. in India. But this is a story that people are, at very least, apparently constantly telling English men in India. Because 20 years later, in 1860, you get the third on boy who was raised by wolves. We know about from a story by a guy called H. Ross, who wrote a letter to The Field magazine, mm-hmm. which is a letter which still exists and it is a uh, it is a magazine for people who own estates
0: <laughs> sure yeah they need a magazine
1: yeah so i looked it up obviously to see what it was and found that it still exists and it contains such articles as best utvs for your rural estate <laughs> uh-huh. the
0: importance of having a game book sure a game book as in a book about as in game that you hunt not about fun games
1: yes mm-hmm. Country style for ladies in the city. Sure, sure. And all kinds of other things that you might need to know about. Like if you happen to love shooting, hunting and owning country estates.
0: I mean, I imagine I would enjoy owning a country estate, to be honest. If, if that was an option available to me, I think I would enjoy it. But the rest of it sounds deeply boring.
1: <laughs> so he wrote a letter describing this in 1895. So... 30 years after it allegedly happened, he claims that a child was brought in to wherever he was staying uh, by hunters who was about four years old, who sat up like a dog with his arms straight down in front of him with his hands flattened on the ground. Mm -hmm. People who brought him claimed that they had found him in a wolf den next to wolf clubs. He moved like hops, something like a monkey, but never stood up. He always kept his hands on the ground. He gave vent only to snarls and sounds, not actual barks by a dog, but something between a bark and a grunt. He would not eat cooked food, but ate raw meat ravenously. A police officer took charge of him and gradually broken him into taking milk, then milk and bread, etc. This is where it gets dodgy. I say gets dodgy. <laughs> he certainly was not an idiot, for after being tamed, he was sent to school and eventually became a police officer.
0: Oh, well. Everyone
1: at the time considered it to be a clear case of a wolf child.
0: <laughs> clear case, total tip. Your classic, your classical garden wolf child.
1: Yes, your classic common and garden <laughs> wolf child. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is the kind of story that you get like children who are found and the person who finds them claims that they were found in a wolf den. Mm. Which brings us to probably the most famous modern Wolf children, the ones who have children's books written about them. And if you search up, they will come up constantly, which is Amala and Kamala. Mm. Two little girls found in India by a Reverend J.A.L. Singh, who wrote a big diary about it, which he claimed he wrote as it was happening, and published 30 years later.
0: Yeah, he claimed that he didn't want to publicize them while they were around because... He thought yes. it would bring the presses, so he just documented their lives with him secretly in his yes. diaries.
1: So his published account, which you can, I'll put the link in the show notes on our website, so you can read it for yourself, should you want to. He claims that people in his parish were claimed that they were being visited by ghosts, so he went to go and investigate this, being as he was a reverend marching
0: around in India, and he he or he had an, or he was running an orphanage it's like or he and orphan an in orphans
1: at the same time. So So yeah. he went to go and find out and he claims he found personally two little girls in a wolf's den next to a mother wolf. He says that Amala is eighteen months old and Kamala is eight. He <laughs> believed that they were two children taken from two separate families. Inexplicably he believed that they were both taken at six months old meaning that Kamala had been with the wolves for seven years.
0: Yeah, that's, I don't know why, how he would ass, why, why he would assume that. Yeah. Like wolves just have a preference for six-month-old six girls, I guess.
1: Yeah. He <laughs> describes the finding of them. He says, The mother wolf whose nature was so ferocious and affection so sublime, it struck me with wonder. I was simply amazed to think that the animal had such noble feeling, surpassing even that of mankind, to bestow all the love and affection of a fond and ideal mother on these peculiar beings. Yeah. He describes the two girls as being unable to speak. Both of them walk on all fours. They reject cooked food. They reject clothes. They are impervious to hot and cold. They have no human emotions. They have an enhanced sense of smell and hearing, which does come up fairly often. Even better, however, excuse me, they are unable to sweat and they emit a powerful blue light from their eyes after dark and have night vision.
0: Yeah. Don't like being outside in the sun. Prefer to wander Mm -hmm. around in the night time because of the night night eyes.
1: Yeah. Amala died when she was two and a half. So she was there for a year with him. And Kamala was taught to sit upright to wear clothes. And she died at 17 of tuberculosis. At which point he published his account and went on to write books about them for a long time. For what in a lot of places, this is considered to be the most clear-cut case of children who were definitely, definitely raised by wolves. Mm-hmm. But as early as 19 the earliest one that I could find doubting it was 1943 where an article reviewing the book that Singh wrote about this, saying, "This is ludicrous) <laughs> Like, this just doesn't, basically doesn't make any sense. That's not how wolves work. Like, wolves would not hang around with a human child for seven years at the best <laughs> of times. You can't go around saying that, like, you're just describing a dog. Basically, it's just like, well, they were raised by dogs, so they can't sweat because dogs can't sweat, which is nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, is the wolf training the children not to sweat? Come on, man. <laughs> Did she... Like, do you think that wolves can emit blue light from their eyes? Yeah, it, it's,
0: it's, it, it's a groundbreaking discovery if all you need to do to take on animalistic, like, biological characteristics is spend a lot of time with them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of time with Livia, and she has neither taken on any of my characteristics. And... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe had we met each other earlier. But yeah, so... The description, at least as Singh puts it, is clearly fictionalized, like his version of him finding them, his version of how they behave. And then later on into the 50s, people started talking to other children who were at the orphanage, Mm -hmm. uh, who came forward with testimony about Singh beating Kamala to force her to act as he wanted her to. Oh, geez. If you Google, you might find photos that are alleged to be of Amala and Kamala, but they are ones that he staged later on with other children in the orphanage. Mm. And a guy called Serge Aroles wrote an entire book about how they were obviously a preposterous... Well, he believes that they were a, a, an entirely a hoax to mm. make money for the
0: orphanage, basically. And... Best case scenario, it's a wild exaggeration.
1: Yes. Yeah. Like, nobody met these poor children... And this is the thing that when you get into the later ones, quite often the more recent ones, the kind of 20th century, 21st century ones, nobody ever asks a child anything. <laughs> yeah. They only talk to their caregivers. And a lot of the ones that where people do go and talk to them, they're clearly not telling the truth. Basically.
0: Yeah, because the one thing that children are really good at is doing what they think you want them to, right? Like this is it's the same reason that the satanic panic got kind of out of control, right? Is because the yeah. people were feeding children the answers that they wanted and rewarding them for giving them, and it, you know, so you can't. It's it's very very difficult to ascertain yeah. an accurate account. So I read a good article by Michael
1: Carroll, which I will also link, where he listed thirty three cases of what he calls animal parented children throughout history, not including mythical ones, but like real life alleged animal-parented children. Almost all of them are wolves, except for a few who are bears. (laughs) And he could only find three where anybody had actually tried to investigate the situation beyond the person who reported it. So obviously the vast majority are just in, like, chronicles and histories, and there's no way of investigating them. But where someone who is not related has tried to investigate, all of them have been clearly debunked, (laughs) like... There is a child in Africa who claims that he was raised by monkeys and people investigated and found kind of a a paper trail of evidence that he was an autistic child who had Mm. been in institutions and someone had taken him out and dirtied him up basically and tried to make money off of him.
0: Yeah.
1: He makes a very interesting article which is that the gender statistics whereby it's like 75% male, 25% female of children who are allegedly animal-parented, lines up almost entirely with the stats on children who are institutionalized when institutionalizing children was a thing that happened regularly
0: mm-hmm.
1: with either profound autism or other developmental disabilities. Yeah. And he argues that these stories are folklore. They're a type of folklore that people tell when they either find children who have been abandoned or abused children. Yeah. Yeah and they create these stories about them. And that is what it kind of is, I think, a lot of the time. Or it is. The two most recent ones I could find that I could find anything on were John Sabunya in Uganda and Ivan Mishakov in Russia. mm who are very, very well documented because they both happened in the 1990s. Yeah, Ivan Mishakov is interesting because he. Ha- this happened in a city. Yeah, in in Moscow. He is not a a rural child. In 1996, Ivan was four. He lived in a Russian city. His mother was abusive, alcoholic, and so he, at the age of four, packed up and left and said, I'm not having this, and ingratiated himself with a pack of street dogs.
0: By, bring, by bringing them food, which is the classic yeah. gambit.
1: <laughs> he gave them food. he a dog. <laughs> and then he would beg for food and then share it with the dogs, and they kind of protected him from any kind of predator or anybody who would hurt him because they came to rely on him for food and they would fight off anybody who tried to hurt him. And he was able to use them for warmth as well, so he could kind of cuddle underneath the pack when it was freezing in Russia and he lived for two years with the dogs until the police eventually managed to separate him from the pack and capture him and reintegrate him into human life I think if there is an explanation for children hanging out with dogs this is what you have Yeah, which is a kid who is savvy enough and smart enough and just about old enough not really old enough to take care of themselves but smart enough to ingratiate themselves Yeah. And vulnerable enough. It's like the perfect balance of able to do a bit of stuff for himself, but vulnerable enough that he's not a threat to the dogs, that he can hang out with them for a couple of years, basically. Yeah. And he is, as far as I'm aware, still alive. Last anyone heard from him, he was in the Russian army, which is interesting now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, just went on to live a fairly... After making waves for a while and everybody being fascinated from by him, was just kind of living a normal a normal life now, and then John Sabunya kind of made a big deal in 1999 when BBC made a documentary about him. Here's a kid from—he's not a kid anymore, but his boy—it was a boy from Uganda. Every article I read about him gives different ages <laughs> uh, and different timelines for things that occurred. So he was either two or five. <laughs> somewhere between the age of two and five it's a
0: fairly big difference in a child you know that's... yes
1: <laughs> in the middle of a ugandan civil war he witnessed his father murder his mother mm-hmm. and terrified that he would be next he fled into the jungle where he survived by himself for what either eight
0: or 24 months again uh it's a pretty significant difference if he's
1: Two, and he survived for 24 months. That's different to him being five and surviving for eight
0: months.
1: (laughs) He is found by a woman walking through the jungle foraging for food where he is hanging out with a pack of vervet monkeys. He allegedly told her that they approached him, that they gave him food, and that he became a member of their group that they took him in and people kind of researchers monkey researchers say that vervet monkeys are one of the mo- groups who will take in like lone
0: mm. monkeys
1: yeah a lot of monkeys they're not about real friendly <laughs> and if they find a monkey by itself they will just kill it
0: but not these guys these are the but nice. But not these nice guys
1: boys. so in 1999 people started making documentaries about him. he sang at the special olympics because he turned out to be a fantastic singer mm-hmm. which is nice it
0: is nice
1: But you can watch the original documentary does not seem to be on, but there are a bunch of articles written about him and there are clips of documentaries that you can watch. I watched a clip from a National Geographic documentary where Mm -hmm. they showed what was clearly a very nice boy who has some intellectual disabilities. They attempted to show off his amazing tree climbing abilities from his time living with the monkey. And what unfortunately I watched was a boy failing to climb a tree (laughs) until somebody helped him up the tree which was difficult to watch He seems lovely. Everybody is very invested in this idea that he was adopted by the monkeys and lived with the monkeys and became one of the monkeys. And the woman who like adopted him, who found him and took him and adopted him, talks a lot about how he was extra hairy when she found him, even though he's not now.
0: Again, and I suspect... like All you have to do to look like monkey is live with monkey, apparently. Yeah,
1: exactly. If he was living in the jungle, he was not picking up that many monkey habits because he just seems like a normal... Mm -mm.
0: kid (laughs) (laughs) which to be fair is the best case scenario what you want is for him to be a normal kid let him have a life (laughs) but like uh maybe that means he didn't live with monkeys
1: yeah i mean again i think that if he was hanging out with monkeys then he was just hanging out with some monkeys in the same way that ivan was hanging out with them dogs yeah he wasn't being raised by
0: (laughs) (laughs) which if he was five is completely believable you know that he just like found that you know if they were good company and also probably yeah. could help him find food and were friendly and if you to him. Yeah, followed them
1: about, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he, I mean, he seems perfectly nice. I hope he's very happy. Yeah. But I do so strongly suspect that his people who adopted him are exaggerating somewhat. Mm in order to make his story sound cooler because then they, they got so much coverage. There's like NPR interviews, there's National Geographic documentaries, there's BBC documentaries, there's Guardian articles, and Washington Post articles. And I also read an article, which I think was the Washington Post or something, Thing along those lines like big american broadsheet about a wolf boy of india dying mm-hmm. and somebody going around trying to identify anything about this person everyone being like no that's not his name and chief travels around all these villages and everyone's like no he's alive no he's dead no he's alive no he's dead mm-hmm. and you're like if you don't even know who he's alive or dead then i'm not sure that we can know anything about whether he was raised well." <laughs> <laughs> so in summary from reading this stuff my my belief is that this is mostly very 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 sad stories about children being abandoned in woods or losing their entire families and being super smart about living in woods or living in some kind of situation away from people yeah and becoming enormously isolated as a result and then being monstrously abused quite often by the people who find them yeah I don't think a wolf ever stole any children or suckled them.
0: No, I don't think so. I think it is a case of we (laughs) expect, because children are essentially useless on their own, you know, they need a lot of care, (laughs) we expect that when children are abandoned and left alone, they will just die. And so when a child doesn't, when a child manages to survive, then we turn to extraordinary reasons for that rather than just... They, they managed to meet their basic needs for a finite <laughs> yeah. period of time under extraordinarily awful circumstances and are probably deeply traumatized as a result. Yeah, We've got to turn it into a fairy tale and use it to like tell stories about nature and to tell stories about innate humanity um, rather than just care for this person who clearly needs care. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's basically it. So... That's the answer to the question. Sort of kids lived with, I think children lived with animals. And I think that it is not unbelievable that children are smart enough to survive sometimes by latching onto some kind of animal. Yeah. Honestly, if I was going to latch onto an animal, it wouldn't be a wolf. <laughs> and I think that the preponderance of wolves in, and bears in these stories is deeply folkloric and connected more to storytelling than anything else yeah but yeah i don't know if that tidies that up at all or if that just makes it more complicated (laughs) (laughs) that's what we do yeah it's all very complicated isn't life fun (laughs) and that's about it yeah possibly that makes everything more complicated but next time we are going to be answering a question from jordan ardoin hopefully that's pronounced correctly and he asks what is so great about alexander the great And why is he so special in the eyes of history? Yeah, it's a fun one. Good old Alexander the Great and all of his... There's a lot of good stories about Alexander the Great. (laughs)
0: It's it's some very sexy history.
1: It is some very sexy history. And I can tell the story about Augustus accidentally breaking his nose off, which is my favourite story in all of history. Amazing. Yes. Until next time then, Janina. Bye. Bye. Thank you.